Hello and welcome to episode 64 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only boulder climbing, Karn Plusson, Shane Beeps. Stan, to be called boulder climbing, did I have to get to the top of the boulder? Because I didn't. I attempted to. No, that would be boulder boulder peaking. Yeah. Boulder summiting. Yeah, I did not summit. Did not summit the, the, the small boulder, but it was fun. Got to do some Colorado things. It was like 65 here. More more weather talk. This is what people come here for. Shane, do you carry a small flag to plant at the top of the mountain whenever you reach the peak? No, leave no trace, Dan. Far out, man. Shane, do you think of yourself as Karn plusing or Karn minusing? Which one's your favorite? I definitely prefer to minus. Mm. Then you can plus. We'll work on that for the copy next time. Also with us, the shadow blocking, O3 dropping, Godfather, Dave Harvarger. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Didn't you write that? I did write it. <laughs> Go with the bit. You're contractually obligated. It's me. It happened again. The O3 dropping. Stay tuned for later in the episode where I tell you all the highlights of my trip to regionals. <laughs> Maybe there's an alternate universe where the opposite happened and you won the whole thing rather than lost in shame. And wandered a, a half-abandoned mall looking for Coke for an hour, which nobody had. <laughs> the weird part was that in the alternate universe, there was like these creepy monsters and and kids like kept appearing and tearing holes between the dimensions. Mm-hmm. It's true. That is a proud Pepsi mall. Dr. Pepper, even. On this week's show, we react to some recent announcements made about the banned and restricted list, news about Pioneer, and we dive into Star City Games' modern regionals. The results we found, the decks we played, the number of times we sanitized our hands. But before all that, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. It's housekeeping. Welcome to new patron Mickey S. Appreciate you joining the nation. Also thanks to some friends who have upped their tiers, Philip F. and Henry P. If you want to join the Dive Down Nation, please check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down. Also, it turns out that asking for new reviews sometimes can be good. (laughs) <laughs> that's right we got five new reviews on itunes this week yeah i think they were all like on friday or saturday like people instantly rushed to the reviews wow that's what i like to call a call to action my uh social media cry for affirmation did not go unheeded thank you to joe r who apparently hates blood moon jake m sam f Flop, one, two, three, and Snapcaster, oh, eight, two, two. We really appreciate the reviews. And you know what? I won't even put the one of those five people who implied that Shane and I are are in our twilight years on blast. So thank you to everyone for participating. And if you'd like to give us a review after listening to the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. So uh, check it out on iTunes. That's the best way for people to find us. And as always, uh, Dive Down is brought to you in part by Manatraders.com. Best place to rent Magic Online cards for your online testing, playing, and enjoying needs. If you want to support us via them, 
have some fun yourself, please use code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, to receive 15% off your first three months of rental service. So this week for The Breakdown, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about, of course, with the latest banded restricted announcement that happened today. But we do have a little thing we want to talk about earlier, just so that we don't miss an announcement that was made during the Arena State of the Game article from last week. And Shane's going to take us through some of the ramifications of that. Yeah, so the ramification that really matters, right, is that they sort of dropped in the term pioneer masters that you could almost sort of miss in passing. And what they said is, you know, a bunch of things about the arena platform. People who listen to the show might not care about or might not really know too much about, but they mentioned again that there's a product coming to arena this year called pioneer masters. And that kind of made people sort of wonder what exactly that could be, how that was going to work when it comes to arena. And the answer is we honestly don't really know too much, but the goal is clear, and that's they want to have Pioneer on Arena at some point in the future. In the near future, let's say. Yeah, yeah, near future. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm guessing as soon as possible. They want people to be playing Pioneer on Arena because it's pretty obviously the platform they want people being onboarded to and, and sticking with. So the question, of course, is how is this all going to work, right? Like, how are they going to get all these cards into the platform? How are they going to integrate it into maybe the ladder or tournament system? How are they going to allow people to even buy it or play it at all? And, of course, how is it going to coexist with the historic format that's already on Arena, which is kind of like their solution to what happens to cards after they rotate out of standard, what do you all think about that? Like, is why does historic exist right now if they're going to eventually have Pioneer in Arena? I have no idea. It seems like the most ill-planned thing ever to me. I don't understand why they didn't just start prepping historic to become Pioneer, but then they started doing these historic packs where they're printing cards directly into historic cards that are not in Pioneer, for example. And so that's unusual. It's a really bad decision, I think. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see what happens because now they can't get rid of historic because people will have spent money on the historic packs. Oh man, that's a really good point. I didn't think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really odd to me. I think historic would need to eventually get some kind of paper support in order to really take off as a format, unless they are planning to develop a format that's exclusive for online play, which to my knowledge is like kind of unheard of with the exception of, you know, vintage essentially on MTGO. <laughs> yeah, sort of personally saw historic as like the stopgap thing, like to give someone something for people to do with their cards once they get out of standard that they got on arena, right? Like uh, Hearthstone has wild, which I think is much less played than the sort of standard format. And I sort of thought that historic was just going to be put to bed sort of naturally over time as they got pioneer onto the platform. But then, like you said, Dave, people are are paying money for these cards. Are there cards in Historic that aren't in Modern? Yes. Oh, that's really messed up then. Like, they, they can't even just sort of cleanly port Modern o- over eventually. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I'm really pretty sure that they've printed some wild cards. Like, they've printed cards from Ricadian Masks and, like, weird, weird stuff into into historic i mean that's just so weird i mean it's a terrible idea this is one of the worst like i i'm not someone who generally gets 
on here and says that Wizards of the Coast does bad things, but I think this is one of the worst decisions I've seen them make in a while. The, the creation of Historic or the idea of getting Pioneer on there? The creation of Historic, I think, is one of the worst decisions I think they've made. Well, I also think you guys might be looking at the solution almost from the wrong perspective because all they have to do is start adding those Historic exclusive cards to these other formats. So let's say whatever these like non-Pioneer Historic cards are, I think Worm Coil Engine might be one of them. You add that into Pioneer, problem solved. My face right now is do not not good. Bring Worm Coil Engine into my format. That's. I mean, I guess they could just sort of say like, "Hey, we were just we we were experimenting. We made it clear we were experimenting. These cards can sort of be put to bed, and maybe they can give out wilds." It's the the digital nature makes it more flexible for them, but at the same time, they can't just keep asking for forgiveness for these kind of decisions. So sure, they can. So they they definitely can stand. You're right. That's a good point. So let look. Let's not linger on this too long. Historic and Pioneer are going to have to coexist. I don't understand why they're going to have to coexist. Okay. But there's no way for them to back out of it at this point. The next question that we had as a team was, will they make Pioneer Masters more expensive than regular packs and cards on Arena? What do you think? Probably. Almost certainly. <laughs> Almost certainly. So keep that in mind. If you're someone who has not entered the arena market yet, that we we're betting that Pioneer is going to be more expensive than standard. And I like, am I going to be able to draft it? Is it going to be like the master sets on Magic Online where I can draft it a little bit to get those cards or what? Like, I don't know. Probably. So. Another huge question associated with bringing Pioneer over to Arena is the question of if they will have Pioneer events and a ladder available all the time on Arena or not. Now, this is something that you might not be familiar with if you have not played Arena, is that they sort of rotate what events are available when. Again, don't totally understand why they do this. I, I assume it's to like not split the player pool, but with Historic, it's only available sometimes. and um, Hopefully, you know, my hope is that they, when Pioneer comes, that Pioneer is available all the time. Yeah, that's, that's a real key, I think, right? Like, do they really want Pioneer to be a significant part of the arena play experience? Or do they want to really keep players focused on like the standard economy churn? And what I mean by that is I think that Watsi's primary economic model of arena, just like in paper, is to make people want to spend money either on drafting or to build out standard decks to then play on ladder. And, you know, the high level mythic ladder has rewards for the people who are truly aspirational. Like if you want to make, what is it like top 1200 mythic, like there's some sort of reward or competition that comes along with that. And there's that incentive, but sure. You know, people, people just like playing magic on a platform that's you know fast and fun and easy to play and so that's a big reason that people are playing on magic arena versus magic online because magic online is just sort of it's, it's dated it has a little bit of a learning curve about how to use it and some speed issues so is there going to be something that makes like pioneer masters enticing as a product to purchase you know is there going to be enough 
ability to play it on ladder? Are there going to be constructed tournaments that one can play? Is there going to be something that allows you to you know, not have to do something special and you can just jump in and play Pioneer wherever you want? Because like you said, Dave, if it's something where you have to like wait for a special event, then what's going to make people buy those Pioneer Masters sort of packs in the first place at all? Because they can just keep playing at Magic Online. It's a good question. I just think that they're different audiences, right? Like you kind of alluded to earlier. And so I think that there's a chance that if it's a format that mostly reflects paper pioneer, people will be interested in playing it in arena as a testing ground. But I do think that's the next problem, right? Because the next question that came to mind for all of us was how will they keep paper and magic online pioneer in sync with arena pioneer? And here's where this question comes from. So originally on Magic Online, you know, they started basically in the year 2002, I want to say. I think it was... Uh, 2030? What's that? In the year 2030. No. Deltron? No. Okay. When Magic Online started, they, um, you know, they didn't go back and reprint all the old sets. And that's essentially what's happening here with, with Arena. And what they did on Magic Online instead is they released a series of sets that were maybe the the sort of um, inspiration for the master sets. They were called Master Edition, and they had lots of different cards in them. For example, when Magic Online first started, there were no dual lands. What? That's right. The, the dream world. I know. Yeah, I know I know that you're loving, you really want to play with your scrub lands and, uh, and taigas and stuff. Shane's a Maverick player. <laughs> it's true. They, they kind of like drip them out over time though. So the second Masters Edition set had the allied dual lands in it. And the third Masters Edition had the enemy dual lands in it. Now, if there was support for a format like Legacy, for example, on Magic Online or Pioneer in the case of, of Arena goes where they print a selection of cards in Pioneer Masters and then certain cards from other staple decks are not available for pioneer use on arena but they are available on moto and in paper it's just going to mean that pioneer on arena is not really the same format as the other places the question is just how long is it going to take for them to catch up to each other will they ever actually catch up to each other and um is that something that people are going to be interested in if they are out of sync even for any amount of time yeah that's an area of concern right and this is really just it's kind of just a technical issue and like person hours right where you just have to get those cards coded into the system and working as expected and so that they're able to work as arena as intended yeah if you put in too many cards at the same time eventually you might run out of server space oh man just the seams are bursting (laughs) my photo bucket is out of room i'm still on the free dropbox account (laughs) i i really don't think it's a technical issue to be honest i think it's more about how they can monetize their back catalog, which is constantly what the master sets are all about. Hmm. And so the question is just how they approach it with Pioneer on Arena in a way that still makes people able to be interested in the format. I, I, I just don't know. Like if, if you know, Demir Inverter is not available on Pioneer, but it's still around in paper, are people going to play Arena on, or Pioneer on Arena? I don't know. That's for example. Yeah, that's that's wild to think about. Like sort of sort of like half pioneer existing. They could also potentially reimagine the structure of their economy too. You know, right now all the cards are kind of worth the same slash nothing because two mythics are just a wild card. You know, each there's no real difference in the cost of one mythic versus another. 
So in theory, they could try to start supplementing the economy with things like wild card only booster packs that cost a certain premium or, you know, premium style subscriptions that, you know, ostensibly compete with these subscription services, but you get it all directly from Arena. So I think right now we're kind of like in this bucket for how the arena economy works, but that could also evolve over time as they try adding new sets and new functionality to the software. Yeah, I mean, and to be honest, that's what it would take for me to get interested in arena because I do not have time to grind. Yeah. I do not have time to put together a collection of my own on a platform like arena, so I'm probably just not going to do it. Yeah, it'll all be about what does the dollar get you in terms of like building towards a deck, right? And because it's arena is one of those things where once you have a deck, you're pretty good for a while. Like if you have one deck you really like, or sort of like a core of a deck you really like, you can exist on that without spending any money. Like for me, I've been playing versions of mono red the majority of the time I've been on arena. And it's, there's, there's been like peaks and valleys in my interest in arena, but I haven't really spent much actual cash beyond the initial dollars and then recouping a lot of those dollars by just getting the gems back through things like the draft that you can earn with gold and stuff like that. I think that's one of the things about arena that I kind of like, or it's sort of like this right now it's like this magic like experience wrapped up in a Skinner box because they gamify the game in a lot of ways, like, tr- you know, the ladder, the tr- like traversing along the the mastery rewards and things like that. Like you want to get your dailies, you want to get your weeklies, but also you're playing Magic, which is a great game. But I think a large area of opportunity that WotC has for the future of Arena, both in Standard and Pioneer and heck, maybe even you know Historic and Modern, is they need to create more interesting sort of tournament structures that have real meaning or real rewards that feel valuable because right now those things are happening on magic online where you can play a tournament with real stakes. Like you can get in uh, an invite to the pro tour. You can win a lot of money in the mocks. Doesn't that exist on arena? Don't they have pro tour qualifiers? Not that I know of. They don't have pro tour qualifiers. Do they? I thought they did. I thought that was all based on your mythic finishing like in a month. I could have sworn they have weekends that literally have PTQs. It's only for people that qualify as the in the mythic in the the numbered mythic area. And look, we're not experts on arena, okay? So like take all this with a grain of salt. <laughs> they do have high level high level play, but they don't have that much of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like how does that become something where people are like there's some real stakes here besides like my 5000 gold, which is essentially free money. Yeah. All right, before we put the section to bed, quick question, Shane, because you actually do play a little bit of Arena. Yeah, I've been back on it this month. It's been it's been fun. Do you have one of those little pets that sit on the battlefield? Oh yeah, I bought I bought that mastery pass, man. I got that owl. I'm I'm trying to get that thing to the level eighty with the big old owl horns. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little pet that sits on the battlefield, and you can click it, and it like changes from gold to silver to bronze. Crashes your machine. <laughs> Who do you love more, your digital owl or the actual cats you live with at home? So my new cat has realized that she can come sit on my desk next to me when I'm like messing around on the computer. And she sort of sits on like this this shirt that I have to send back to the manufacturer. And now it's got cat hair all over it. Um, I like her a lot more, honestly. Well, that's good. Just making sure your priorities are in the right place. Okay, all that arena talk out of the way. Let's discuss something that people really care about. They talk about it nonstop. 
Fan announcements. We got one today. Finally, I set my alarm for the crack of 9.45 a.m. So I could wake up just in time for Ian Duke's article. (laughs) The usual weekend awake time for Stan. Weekend? It's Monday. It's not a weekend. Well, Stan always has three-day weekends, too. Just living that three-day weekend life, bro. That's right. Yeah, so Wizards made an announcement today that does, in fact, impact Modern, as well as providing some insights into their thoughts on the Pioneer format. And let's start with Modern. Also, we updated mtgbandswen.com. Go check it out to see two giant words that say just now. (laughs) Well, when the episode comes out, it might no longer say just now. It might just say no. It's going to say no very soon. So go check out that it says just now before it says no. mtgbandswen.com. All right. So in modern, once upon a time is banned. (laughs) Uh, Fiddlesticks. my opinion this is just one more card paying for the sins of the london mulligan ouch now this card paid for its own sins everyone like when this card was spoiled it was like well this is gonna get banned one day and lo and behold that day turned out to be less than six months after it was released it was banned in modern i believe right and long ago in pioneer yeah banned long long ago in standard and pioneer dave how do you feel emotionally about this announcement I love this card. I really do. And I didn't even play it in a deck that was very good for this card. It's a good card, Bront. Yeah, it's a great card. And I just enjoyed having it. I enjoyed being able to use it to fix my my opening hands. Uh, I'm sad. You know, I think it's the right move. It definitely was starting to get way too pervasive. And, you know, I looked on Sunday night before the bands, I looked at MTG Goldfish format staples page. And according to that page, Once Upon a Time was in 35% of decks in modern. 35%. And it was generally at least a three of in those decks. So the only card that I saw that was a higher like percentage of presence was Ashiok Dream Render, which is a which which is only in as like a one of basically so it's lower in their power rankings but apparently everybody is sideboarding that card right now as a one of that's crazy yeah so we're talking like sort of get probe level of just throw it in a deck yeah that's that's the problem with it and and it did lead to a bunch of cool new things and i think stan is going to take us through a, a list of decks that had once upon a time in it but everybody was just playing this and trying it out and using it to fix their opening draws and that's what it was for and it was good at it and it was too good at it that's the problem yeah so some of the cards that were running once upon a time when it was banned include but probably not limited to eldrazi tron mono green tron amulet titan titan field four color death shadow infect gruel mid-range neobrand Blue-Green Urza, this new Hardened Scales deck that's been popping up lately, and Elves, probably. I can only assume Elves is running hard once upon a time. <laughs> Druid combo is also should be on that list. All the Heliod decks, basically, of which this new Hardened Scales thing is, but um, that's one that was definitely running it as well. John Shadow was running it as well, not just the four-color one. Yeah, it was like one or two of in those. Yeah, the comparison to Git Probe I find really interesting because... It's not as easy to slot into a deck as Git Probe was, because Git Probe essentially had no color casting cost. 
And it felt like this card had a little bit of a failsafe built into it in that it's only great once and then it's kind of fair. Uh, and yet how quickly it got banned across multiple formats now and just how impactful it was in in making these consistent decks stronger from having like killer opening hands, especially after you sculpt a hand post-mulligan. I just think uh, its power is unassuming, but undeniable. And once this card was banned in Pioneer, it was going to get banned in Modern. And my reasoning for that is just the the speed of Modern is just even faster than Pioneer. So there's less time for the opponent to make up like an unequal sort of game state that might have happened from the use of a once upon a time. So it's one of those things where the advantage that it put onto the player who gets to cast it and gets to get advantage from it was probably just too high. It's just so easy at doing what it does. And like you said, Stan, is it just adds to the consistency that's already there from the London Mulligan. And so like we said during our Pioneer Band discussion on this card, it was it just led to consistency and also had no mana cost if you cast it very early. And those two things combined is just very dangerous. I do think it's cool that it wasn't banned because of a single deck. It was just an example of another card that became too pervasive uh, for very little downside or very little deck building constraint. I do think there's a narrative that this was banned for one deck. Certainly. And I agree with you that that narrative is probably not correct. Like a lot of people I think are reading this as we need to take Titan down a peg. And I don't think that that's what this ban announcement says, really. Like, if you look at what they wrote about in it, you know, they talked a lot about Heliod actually in the write up about about Once Upon a Time. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of discussion has been like, well, this doesn't even make Titan that much worse. And I'm like, I don't think it's supposed to. I think it's just a card that they decided was too pervasive. Yeah, to facilitate more varied gameplay and mitigate future risk. You know, two classic things in these ban announcements. Like it's it's annoying to see turn one once upon a time, game of three, game of three game, because you know it's gonna lead to something that you don't want to see either. So, you know, power level, lack of variety in the gameplay, consistency levels, it's gotta go. Yeah, I now wanna take a second just to kind of look at which decks it's going to affect and how much, because while the top two decks in the format, Titan and Eldrazi Tron are running it. I think we would both agree that those kind of like maybe trip, but those decks aren't going away. And there are other decks that I think risk going away entirely. And I'm not sure if they were necessarily the problematic decks of the format. So Neobrand, Infect, Four Color Shadow, and this new Hardened Scales brew has some, you know, initial examples are decks that I think really take the brunt of this band announcement. I really think that Heliod combo and Devoted Druid combo take the biggest hit here, just off the top. After playing that Druid deck uh, a couple of weeks ago, I really felt like the draws that you had once upon a time were just so, so much better than the ones without. Yeah, I'm depressed about this because that was one of the decks I was looking to explore in paper soon. I've sort of felt like I only really have a a few decks left in, in modern and I was hoping to go back into the sort of, you know, druid combo-y well and see how the water is. But it's looking like it might be uh, a little tepid. <laughs> is is Eldrazi Tron really able to use this card effectively? It seems super loose. Like, with, they have like one forest, don't they? How are they casting this thing? Well, the first time they cast it for free. 
First time, yes. That makes all the difference. Yeah. And they also have a way to find that one forest. You could even argue that they run five forests. Yeah, yeah but then you're searching up a forest, and you're like, well, I got to search up a forest with my EMAP to like cast this once upon a time. That seems poopy. But isn't it worth it if you just need a reality smasher to close out the game? Sure. I think it just provides a lot of options. By the way, do you guys want to hear a crazy thought while we're here? Please. I'm thinking about buying into Eldrazi Tron. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> because chalices are only $40 a piece now. Oh, a mere 40 What a steal. They were like 65 for a while or 70 weren't they? That's crazy because especially with the popularity of Tron, uh, e-tron at least. I think uh, that might be just modern going down in price in general. Anyway. So what are some of the decks you think get better with this announcement? Mm, that's a good question. My theory, I think the the fastest decks that don't run Once Upon a Time, so Mono Red Prowess and Burn especially, actually get a boost here. Because they didn't need this consistency engine to already be reasonably consistent. It's possible. I mean, I don't, I don't hate that reasoning at all. It's been really hard for me to think about this. I also wonder if um, Wurza might get better as a result of this too, just because it doesn't have to deal with great draws from uh, from the decks across the table from it, and it still gets to run a whole bunch of cantrips. For sure. I also got to say, I feel really bad for Infect players today. Ugh. They got two amazing cards in the last, what, six months or so? Eldraine, basically in Eldraine. They got Oko, and they got Once Upon a Time, and they lost both of them. Yeah. Wasn't enough to make that deck great, though. Well... I did see a lot of people playing at regionals over the weekend, though. I saw at least two or three players on Infect, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, as we'll talk about later, it did show up in our results. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, losing Once Upon a Time is is really not great for that deck in the future, and I imagine it's going to trickle back down again. I think Shadow is going to be fine, for what it's worth. I mean, you know, I've spent a lot of time playing four-color Shadow the last... A uh, couple months, played it very badly on Saturday, but um, I, I think that Shadow will just turn back into one of its other less greedy forms, right? Like maybe there'll be a split again where some people will go Grixis, some people will go Jund. It really depends on the meta, but I think Shadow is always going to be there in some form or another, I believe, at this point. All right, so before we pivot briefly into modern did you guys see that Splinter Twin spiked in price over the weekend in anticipation of the BNR? And it went from around like five or six bucks, tripled in price. It's it, basically at the time of the BNR, it was, it was around $15. Yeah, people are crazy. I, mean, I really don't think people can imagine Twin coming back into a modern world that has like Teferi 3, Force of Negation. Force of Negation to me, I understand that people can say it's also good against like the twin combo, but it's also really good for the twin player. So I just don't think so. How so? How is it good for the twin player? Just because they have another counter spell? Sure, they have another counter spell. Like if the opponent is is let's say they're they're tapped out or something like that, and they can't just because you can't use it to protect your own your own turn, you know, if if they're trying to interact on their turn in some way, then you're able to you know, protect what you're trying to do in some way. Yeah, maybe if they're trying to thought seize you the turn before you cast twin. It's just too good. It's more about getting them to tap out to no effect, which is why the deck used to run remand, 
right? It's just this one actually counters it. So you can, you know, have them lay down their car or like try to do something. And then you have three mana up after you, you know, remand their three mana or two mana play. Then you get to play your uh, Pestermite or your Exarch and tack down one of their lands. And then you get to drop Splinter Twin. Yeah, it's like just, it's so mana efficient. Like you're not worried about like card efficiency at that point, because if you want to combo off, you're like, okay, I can pitch this card and lose the force of negation because then I still have the mana available to, like Dave said, to, to flash something in or use my mana in a way that advances my combo state. Yeah. That card's never getting unbanned. I really don't think so. I hope so. I, I still have my original playset from 2015. You know what I mean? 2015, 2014. But I, I, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm seriously about to get a frame on my wall and just like slowly over time fill it with the play sets of cards that have been banned in modern that I can't play with anymore. I got my Okos, I got my Once Upon a Times, I got my Git Probes, I got my Splinter Twins, I got all kinds of stuff. Looting? <laughs> yeah, Faithless Looting. It's just going to be a little rogues gallery of car- the cards I've loved and lost. I just wanted to get unbanned so that Force of Despair is finally good. Can, can we talk about the no bans in Pioneer now, please? Please. Sure. I gotta. Sure. They wrote more about the lack of bans in Pioneer than the banned cards in other formats. Well, they knew they were going to be in trouble. Yes, exactly. They knew people were going to kind of flip out a little bit. But so here's here's their statement. Gener- generally... Comma, we're happy. That's that's like what you don't want to hear from your boss, right? So generally, we're happy with how the Pioneer metagame has been playing out over the past several weeks. We saw tremendous diversity across the top decks of the three players tour tournaments. Uh, those weren't in the past several weeks. In early February, Magic Online data indicates that the matchups between the most popular decks are in a healthy place, with each having both won and lost matchups against the others. That's interesting language. <laughs> Do they just not look at Star City? I don't know. Like at all? Did they not look at their own challenge results? Or, I mean, or the, what, the showcase challenge? It's like, I mean, this is, this is acceptable. This is within the realm of belief, right? Like that when I play Pioneer, I do see a lot of different matchups. I do think that there's a pretty darn healthy metagame. I think the format's great. I think trying to be like, we're going to harken back to the early February players tour is like nearly meaningless at this point, though. Because the metagame does advance so quickly and people have advanced the inverter strategy even more and sort of perfected it and become better at it. It's it's kind of weird to be like, well, the player's tour was great, right? Right, y'all? I like that part of their premise here is that the deck both wins and loses. (laughs) (laughs) But they also said, we're aware of community concern about some of the new combos that broke out around the time of the player's tours. So yeah, they're listening. Though I do feel a butt coming. Here comes the butt. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about your big butt, Simone. In general, we're okay with combo having a presence in the Pioneer metagame. But it's certainly possible to have combos that are too strong or too prevalent. Just not these ones, guys. Yeah. Combos can be bad, but they're generally cool with it. Um, What do you think about this use of the word generally a couple times? (laughs) They sound like narcs. (laughs) (laughs) You 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 kids like combos, right? I'm cool with combos. None of those degenerate ones. You you guys aren't into those degenerate combos, are you? Did you get a degenerate combo down at the schoolyard? <laughs> Who gave it to you? All right, the use of general here, and and listen, I'm a writer. I'm literally a trained writer, and and the way they're using words and language here to me just feels like 
the most subtle way they're able to indicate to us what they're keeping an eye on short of saying we are literally keeping an eye on this deck. Yeah. Makes sense. So here's, here's the, the, the kind of the eye opening stuff, right? Where they actually talk about some stats across the last two weeks of magic online leagues. I'm sure there's quite a few of this, you know, these games taking place. Yeah. Demir inverter has had a 49% non mirror match win rate and has unfavorable matchups against five of the other 10 most played decks, which makes sense because that would lead to a 50% win rate, more or less. That win rate has been drifting down over time since the player's Taurus. That's a little bit surprising. Yeah. How is it so popular in competitive play if it's still a sub-50% win rate on Magic Online? Um, I have a little bit of a take on this later, but Dave, any initial thoughts? It says in the notes that Shane has a take on this, so I was I was I was settling in to hear it. Capital letters, uh, take. Let's hear it. Okay, well, I guess yeah. Why, why bury the lead, right? So, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to use kind of like a, a raw win rate percentage to say a deck is or is not too powerful or too good or or good or bad for a format. So I I, I respect what they're doing there, right? They're saying, okay, well, this deck is a 49% win rate. But in the past, because in the past, they've been able to say, this deck has like a 58% win rate, no matter no matter who's playing it, whether it's good players or average players or not so good players, right? But Inverter to me is one of those really tricky decks that really maximizes player skill. And I think that a lot of players that are trying to play it just kind of stink at it. I'm sure I'd stink at it. I think that, you know, in the other the other week, we saw the Pioneer Showcase Challenge be like one-third inverter in the top 32. And then maybe the conversion rate was also not that great there. Maybe it was a 50% deck in the Pioneer Showcase Challenge, but I'd be surprised if that was the case. And we've seen it all over, like, these top tables at all these other recent tournaments as well. We see in the hands of great players this deck doing great things, and the raw power level of inverter is clearly super high. And I'm willing to suspect that we're going to see it continue to be at the top tables of the Pioneer tournaments. Yeah, let me just bust in here for a second. Yeah, do it. Don't forget that at Star City Games Indianapolis, it was 23% of the day two meta. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is just like wild. Yeah, I also do think, though, that if, you know, there's a plenty of players in Magic Online that are that are great. That are average, that are me below average. If the deck is really just going to be like a fifty percent deck, then it's sort of naturally going to fall back into place as sort of a normal player in the meta game. And I'm fine being wrong. I'm fine, sort of. You know, I'd like to be wrong, where it's not going to be just a tournament deck where like the best players are going to just slay with it, and that it's actually not as good as people think it is. So my question for you at this point is, what card did you want to see banned, and? Is that really exclusive to Inverter being a good deck or not? Or is it just good on the back of something else? This is not a leading question. <laughs> well, everyone kind of expected to dig through time to get the axe, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Because the, the thought process on that was that it led to the consistency of Inverter because you both got to see seven cards in your deck to draw to your combo piece and shrink your graveyard. So it was kind of the perfect piece of the puzzle to keep that deck running really well and always sort of finding what it needed, right? And then it also sort of just had the pedigree of being really, really good in standard and having been banned out of the other Eternal formats 
of modern and legacy. I mean, I wonder at what point the folks at R&D that are designing cards and, and creating these actual formats want some cards that were banned out of other formats to be legal and playable. Because ultimately, people generally don't like when the cards they buy are banned. And every time we have this new format, we're like, suddenly we have another chance to play Dick Through Time. Or suddenly we have another chance to play Deathrite Shaman. If R&D can make that work, I think that's a win for that department. I do. I just think that what's frequently going to happen is what we just saw happen with Once Upon a Time, right? Which is Once Upon a Time gets banned in Standard, then it gets banned in Pioneer, then it gets banned in Modern. I think Deathrite Shaman is much more the exception, where the conditions that make Deathrite Shaman good are not present in a format, and so it's harder to to use it. You know, for me, I just still think that the clock is ticking on Dig Through Time, and I don't even know if that really has anything to do with the Demir and Rotor deck or not. You know, like it just kind of felt like maybe this was the time to stop using this, to stop having this card around to make decks that shouldn't be as consistent as they are consistent. Hey, does that sound familiar by any chance? I mean, it's it's almost the same argument as as why we would ban Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So I don't know. I mean, look, I'm going to finish leaving up Demir Inverter after this. I'm never going to play Pioneer because I'm never going to leave my house ever again to play Magic. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have all the cards. I didn't think I was going to ch- get a chance to use them. I guess I'm going to try to go to a Pioneer event between now and the end of April if I can. They had another thing in this article that I found kind of interesting where they wrote, the criteria that we're looking at include overall and matchup by matchup win rates, success in tournaments, population in the metagame, and community sentiment playing with and against these decks. And for some of these, we we kind of know the how they factor in. Like, we know community sentiment for Demir Inverter specifically was not great. Yeah. Demir players kind of liked it, but even some Demir Inverter players were like, Dick Through Time is getting banned, this card is too, too consistent. Hated it. <laughs> Ultimately, my question to you guys is like, which criteria do you think Inverter missed the mark on? And is it exclusively the fact that it has a potentially 49% win rate that made it safe in their eyes? And yeah, it's a really surprising, right? Because you know it's it sees a lot of success in tournaments, and I've I've watched streamers play it like three out of five matches in the you know, in a pioneer league, and I've definitely seen it myself. You know, the community sentiment playing against I don't think is exactly super high. You can feel super helpless if you're playing, you know, let's say like a red deck or something like that, right? And so, like you said, Stan, I'm kind of a little bit surprised where they're not saying. You know, this is actually ticking many of these boxes. And for these reasons, we're banning whatever. Yes, something else entirely. Inverter of truth or something. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I think it's one of those remain-to-be-seen things. Like, they could have to reverse, you know, their course in a, in a month or so, month and a half. So, Stan, you and I, lately, not been playing a lot of Pioneer, right? Yeah, I don't really get to play a lot of Pioneer, unfortunately. Right, so Shane is our Pioneer guy. Does this incentivize you to want to not get into Pioneer or to get into Pioneer, or are you ambivalent? Dave, truth be told, it doesn't really impact me that much because I don't think I've ever played against this deck. I don't know how that feels. And just to set the record straight, I like Pioneer as a format on principle. The only reason I don't get to play a ton of it is because the paper schedule in Chicago is not conducive to my lifestyle schedule. Yeah, And I literally have to either play instead of recording this podcast on Monday nights 
or at Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And I'm not getting up at Sunday morning. I'm not. I'm still in bed by like two in the afternoon. I have a cat on my chest. What a life, Stan. Have you heard of Manatraders.com and Magic Online? I have. I have, and I and I do love Magic Online, and I love when we get to test Pioneer for the podcast, and Manatraders helps with that a lot. But when I'm spending my free time on Magic Online, it's specifically to play the cards and the decks that I want to get better at in paper. And I get to play Paper Modern more frequently. It's a part of my social life. It's a part of my podcast. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of makes more sense for me in terms of my private life to spend more time on Modern. If I got to spend more time in Pioneer, I would love that. Yeah, like if you're one of those people who had the opportunity to like grind a league every night, I'm sure you'd probably play some Pioneer in there. Yeah, after SCG Regionals, I was like, what should I do tonight? I kind of want to just keep playing Magic. I don't think I want to keep casting Shadow of Doubt. Maybe I'll look at what's good on Pioneer. But instead, I ate a cheeseburger and fell asleep. That was that was the right choice. I was thinking the same way, and I ended up just watching a bunch of episodes of One Tree Hill with my wife and falling asleep on the couch after a delicious meal at Outback Steakhouse. Oh, man. I want an Outback steak so badly. So counterintuitively, I, I asked you this question, Sam, because I also had an answer for the question that I wanted to get out there, which is... Of course. I actually think that this makes me want to play more Pioneer now that I feel like we're past this kind of uh, unsettled period where everybody's kind of like, ah, it's just going to get banned. It's just going to get banned. Don't worry about it. It's just going to get banned. I, I feel like I might dip my toe back in and and play some again going forward because now I know that Demir is just going to be there and I'm not waiting for the clock to to run out on it, basically. Yeah. I think you could look at this in a as like a healthy thing too, right? Where it's not just the next boogeyman of the format getting hammered back down by Wizards of the Coast. And instead, they really are letting people solve the meta themselves. And I think we have seen a pretty big shift in the appearance of Demir Inverter, barring the you know the showcase challenge. We, we, we see a lot of other decks like Mono White, like Mono Green Walkers is appearing. I think those are sort of like, they're sort of squashing down the Demir Inverter strategy. And in turn, that allows other decks to start showing up as well that can prey a little bit better on like these mono white decks, these mono green decks. And I think that it's sort of a natural evolution of the format rather than a sculpted evolution of the format. And they were sculpting a lot early on. And I think now they're trying to let people figure the format out like they were doing in modern, say, during the rise of Grixis Death Shadow, the reign of humans, the reign of Arc-like Phoenix, where until Faithless Union got banned, and that wasn't necessarily for Arc-like Phoenix's uh, power level, people were figuring it out over time. And it took a few months. Like we talked about Arc-like Phoenix ruling the, ru- ruling the roost, pun intended, perhaps, for uh, a, a, few, a few months. And I think it's better for them to treat Pioneer a little bit more like a format people can play in and naturally metagame rather than just say, this is too good, ban. Yeah. And then it inspires confidence for people like you saying, hey, I can play this deck for like six, eight weeks perhaps if I'm lucky. Yeah. I mean, I'm still calling it though. The over-under on how long Dig Through Time survives in Pioneer from here is 5.5 months for me. I don't think it survives a full year in the format, I guess is what I'm saying. So. I, nothing about today has changed my mind about that particular card. But again, I don't know if that has that much to do with Inverter or not. Sure, we'll see. 
the ancient question that people continually argue about in our Slack is if Inverter would still be good without Dig Through Time. Maybe we'll find out someday. I don't know. If we're lucky, Inverter will get bad, even with Dig Through Time, and then I think everyone will actually be happy. Probably. All right, we're going to take a quick break. This has been a very long breakdown, a little bit of a unique breakdown. And when we return, we're going to dive into the results from the Star City Game regional tournament that happened across 13 cities this weekend all over the United States, pretty much east of the Rockies. Stay with us. All right, everybody. It is my favorite time of year for modern metagame analysis. This SCG Regionals weekend. We had 13 events take place over a good portion of the, let's see, Midwestern to Eastern United States. And if you're not in the U.S., Midwest actually means, means Mideast. So Denver doesn't get anything. Um, but the reason I like this, it's the people's metagame. Man. You're, you're speaking the truth. Do you guys remember earlier this year, I was like, 2020, I don't think I want to spend as much time playing competitive REL tournaments. Totally. Once regionals weekend rolled around, I was like, yes, I love regionals. All my friends get together. I get to see people from the area, from the greater Chicagoland area, rub shoulders with some pro players. It was really cool. I just love SCG regionals. I think it's a really fun thing that we get to do twice a year. I'm so happy to live in a city that uh, actually has one of these tournaments. Yeah, I miss regionals. Um, the closest one to me is like Dallas. And let me tell you where I'm not going. Um, so Texas. People playing at regionals, like Stan was saying, by and large are the same players you're going to see at your LGS. Like, sure, there might be some of the more invested players and maybe even some like SCG grinders or some pros might show up. But by and large... You're going to see a lot of the locals you know. They're not flying around the country to play at Opens. They're just going to be able to go to regionals a few times a year for a, a big, typically modern tournament. And with that being the case, you're going to see a lot of people playing like their deck versus playing what they perceive as the best deck because they might not have access to it. They might just think that they have the best level of reps and skill with the deck that they like the most. Um, and and I, I always like to look at regionals and say, this is the real world metagame that most of our listeners and us are going to be experiencing on that week to week basis. If we get out to the LGS or even on magic online and therefore it's some of the most interesting data I think uh, we can look at. And that data we have is the top eight from each of these 13 events. It's a little bit limited in depth, but it's pretty broad. Um, and that lack of depth lets us narrow our focus to what succeeded in the Swiss across the uh, much of the country this weekend. Yeah, so we're going to look at, I think it's what, 16 or 17 decks that appeared in the top eight at least two times. There's obviously lots of one-ofs, but here's some broad stroke trends that we saw across the country. And the most popular deck to appear in top eight, perhaps to no one's surprise, certainly not mine, Amulet Titan. 15 top eight slots across all SCG regionals. Yeah, that had to be what people were going into the weekend thinking was a deck to either bring or beat. And it looks like it did just fine in in, uh, in succeeding. So what's going on with the Amulet Titan these days? Because it's changed a lot since, uh, since Theros Beyond Death came out. Yeah, looking at some of these lists from Star City, it seems that 
a number of players are taking out the old haste package um, and instead just kind of opting for a more consistent grindy plan because now you have all these extra copies of Azusa that's also harder to kill in the form of Dryad of the Elysian Grove, which no longer dies to a bolt and still lets you play extra lands per turn. So now you get to sort of grind players out with the help of Valakut, with the help of Field of the Dead, or just beating down with a big 6-6 that makes more lands, eventually finding your Field of the Dead as soon as you can turn it on, or likewise with Valakut. Yeah, it's still, so it does run, it looks like they run Handware Battlements now over the kind of, the lands that used to give haste before. Um, so you can still get it. You can search that up with Titan if you want to, but it seems like all these decks are really just trying to free roll off of Dryad to be able to make Valakut a lot better, basically. And so it looks like the most consistent package that does that is the Amulet Titan package that just lets you ramp out an earliest Titan the fastest. The next two most popular decks were both Mono Red Prowess and Jund, which put 11 copies into various top eights, respectively. Yeah, Mono Red Prowess makes sense, right? I mean, it's proactive as a fast game plan. I don't own Titan, so I would have probably brought it. Yeah, I definitely was thinking about switching to Mono Red Prowess from, uh, from Four Color Shadow going into the tournament just because I didn't have a lot of reps with Shadow in the last couple of weeks. And so I was like, maybe Prowess is a little bit easier to play. Not that Burn is always easier to play, but I have experience with Prowess too. Um, I'm glad to see this at the top of the metagame. I have been avoiding playing it again for a long time. And given the bans today, I think maybe it's time for me to hop back in. I still am not like someone who loves Runaway Steamkin, but it seems like everyone else is. So I'm just going to have to learn how to play with that card, I guess, which is part of the reason I didn't audible to it on Saturday myself. Yeah, high ceiling, potentially low floor. It's a card I'm liking playing in standard. That card is still in standard? Wow. Sure is. Can you believe it? Dave, I got to tell you, it's a pretty easy card to play with. You cast it on turn two, and then on turn three, you make it big, generate mana, spend that mana, cast all your spells, make it big again. Then attack with it. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. I had a similar thought to you, actually. I'd considered maybe just running this out. And one of the reasons why I didn't is because I hadn't played this deck in so long that I thought I'd be kind of rusty with it. Same. I specifically suggested it to you. You did. Why didn't you suggest it to me? I don't know. You probably, I, I assume you saw Stanislav and Mai's tweets. Mm. I only follow you on one platform. Oh, Okay. TikTok. Um, we got to talk about Jund, though, right? Like, this has to be like the most expected deck for a regionals event, for me at least. Like, people just love Jund. It's always going to be there. I'm a little bit surprised that it succeeded quite as well as it did. But as we looked a little, you know, a little bit ago, Jund has been doing just fine. And also, it could have been a perfectly terrible conversion rate. Like, it could have been 25% of the room and they wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but Jund was. In third in the in the conversions into top eight, but it was first in wins. Not to like spoil what's coming up later, but four of the regionals were won by people on John decks. Yeah, and so it looks like two Kroxa is just stock. Like two or more is just stock in modern Jun now. It's in all of these lists. Well, it both does damage and gets cards out of your opponent hand. So it's kind of like a Bloodbraid Elf that. Is both a bolt and a thoughtsies. Like just play lightning, okay? Come on. It's kind of like a hypnotic specter, but bigger. It's like a lightning skeletal that is easier to bring back to the board. Mm, I like that one the best so far. I played against Jund twice at regionals. In how many rounds? 
I played all eight rounds. Oh, nice. I lost both of those matchups. Mm. Sorry. That's not nice. One of them was to a pro magic player, but I'll drop names later. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. Up next in fourth place was Bant Stoneblade with five decks across top eights and regionals. I got to say, this is a deck that we have acknowledged is really popular. It, it appears in a lot of these preliminaries on MTGO. It seems to be really successful in competitive events. I literally never see it. I see blue white stone blade. I cast or I play blue white stone blade a lot. I never see these banned versions. I think you're going to start with the results from this weekend. And Uro is just too good not to play. Yeah. Like you just have to play Uro. Yeah. It's such a bonkers card. I tried to buy some Uros after I bombed out of the regionals and nobody had any. Yeah. And if you if you add the four color snowblade decks that are essentially the same thing, but they like splash a little bit of red to play Blood Moon in the side, there's actually uh, seven total uh, between the Bant and the four color snowblade decks. So, you know, in, in a pretty close fourth place there. Yeah. Up next, Jund Death Shadow, four copies across all the top eights. Including some pretty aggressive Swift Spear versions that run Become Immense, Mutagenic Growth, and Dave's favorite red cantrip, Crash Through. Yeah, I don't I don't get that really at all. Trample. Trample's good. Yeah, I know, but like, come on. In in Shadow, it seems pretty weird to me. But um I definitely I mean the most interesting thing about this is that this was another kind of like uh potential like pro team innovation that a bunch of people picked up off of patreon support yeah for sure the new dog in town yeah and people did well with it you know it's an adaptation of what the original death shadow strategy really kind of was which was that kind of do damage to yourself super aggressive swift spear nakadal version and just updated for today nice yeah so what after this we had grinding breach As Dave talked about last week, four decks, Grinding Breach, didn't exactly take over the top tables, but this is a lot of appearances of this new and pretty complex combo deck, so it clearly has some legs. Here's the thing that was super interesting to me about this deck is that it appeared four times in top eights, and there was no Urza decks Mm. in the top eights. I think there was at least one. There was at least one, but there were four of these and not as many Urzas. The list I'm looking at right now has only one, a Teamer Urza deck that made top eight. Uh, that might not be totally accurate, but still surprising that this did so much better than kind of Urza, Urza builds, which are, you know, similar-ish game plans to each other. Yeah, I mean, part of me thinks that eventually if this deck evolves, it's going to slot in Urza. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that Urza is the perfect type of card for this type of strategy where you have all these artifacts in the board, why not make some mana and draw extra cards? As like a main deck or like a sideboard juke type thing or what? You know what, Shane? It's not my place to say. <laughs> well, I just think that Ur- Urza is like the v- mid-range version of this strategy and Grinding Station Breach is the combo version, Yeah. right? So I, I don't know if you're going to get both of them together. Well, you know, Stan's going to be funny because Urza also has the Demure kind of like Thopter Foundry one. That's the one that I think goes a little bit better with Urza than the Grinding Station Breach one does. Yeah, if only there were ever any other Urza decks that had big combo game plans that ground through your entire library. Huh. I just think if you choose that, you don't you don't need the Grinding Station Breach version. You know, it's sort of like pick your enabler. It's either Breach or Urza. But I'm not a doctor. <laughs> 
I still want you to look at this rash. <laughs> Up next, another Titan deck. Three copies across top eights, and that was Titan Ramp. Yeah, so this is just the kind of like field Titan deck, as it's called sometimes as well, right? Yeah. Uh, oftentimes it's like either mono green, maybe blue green, maybe black green. But it's just about making your Dryad of the Legion Grove and your Castle Garen Brig make a ton of mana as quickly as possible. And then you drop your six drop on turn four, maybe turn five. And uh, in modern, that's often all it takes to win. Yeah, and the big difference here is that, between Amulet at least, is that this the ramp decks run what some people cheekily called Mox Emerald, Arboreal Grazier, mm-hmm. instead of Sakura Tribe Elder. So this lets you play an extra card. These decks also play Explore and Search for Tomorrow, so you get that kind of like conventional ramp-ness going on, although Amulet still has Explore sometimes as well. I didn't see a single Titan matchup across eight rounds. I mean, I'm shocked that you managed to play that long into the tournament and you didn't see it, but... Listen, I'm going to get my $50 worth, and, and that value is not just buried in that playmat with cool Hydra art. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that I had not tilted off and left after the third round, but hey, that's that's just me. All right, up next is a, a, a group of decks that put three copies across top eight, and those are Infect, Heliod Company, Burn and four color shadow so not much to say about these right like you know in fact is in fact um heliod company we recently just talked about that deck burn people gonna burn and four color shadow people gonna four color shadow maybe not anymore yeah four color shadow i think is probably shelved at this point but yeah so perfectly good decks that may not be perfectly good any longer and all of these besides burn we have in fact heliod company and four color shadow all running typically i think four once upon a times and that card has hit the bin i do think it's cool that mono red is outperforming burn has been for a long time or at least is becoming more popular in the meta yeah it's just more explosive yeah it's really explosive i think the creatures get quite a bit bigger you know burn just relies on like goblin guides and the Swift Spears, they grow, but I don't think they grow nearly as big because you don't have Manamorphose, you don't have Lava Dart for you know the repeatable spells to trigger prowess. Not to mention, I kind of feel like when I used to play Mono Red, I used to beat up on Burn because I had all these Dragon's Claws in my sideboard. So I would gain you know 10 or more life in the course of the game while beating down with like fours. And, and your long game is better too. With your you know, Bedlam Revelers, or if you want to play like Ox of Agonis or something like that. Up next, a couple copies of Sultai Snow, as well as two copies of Grixis Shadow, Golgari Titan, Eldrazi Tron, and Demir Control. So, what the heck, Sultai Snow? Is that like, I mean, looking at the list, it's like, what, like just a salt, like a real just Sultai mid range deck? Is this finally a thing? Like Go- Goif, Uro, and like Ice Fang Quaddle? Here's what it looks like to me a little bit. It looks a little bit like more like Simic mid-range with removal. Yeah, a lot of removal, a lot. They don't have Liliana in them or anything else that's like a black kind of payoff card. They do have Thoughtseize. Um so it's sort of like removal and disruption plus good blue green threats. So, yeah, it's Sultai, but I think it's it's more kind of like to me it's more like Simic plus disruption. I mean, it has a lot, though. Like, it's not just splashing for, like, the occasional removal spell. Like, it has a lot of removal with the with the black mana. And what surprises me is, like, we have a Sultan midrange deck that's, like, not running Snapcaster Mage. 
Neither one is. Yeah, neither one of the two lists that are under Sultai Snow are running it. Just has just has beatdown power and like the disruption and and card draw engine of like Ice Fang. So you can you know block with Death Touch with your Ice Fang. You get your beaters online and your life gain with like uh, Uro and and Tarmogoyf and sure seems like a perfectly interesting mid range deck if you like to play you know blue or uh, or black removal or green creatures. I like all those things. If you like to play Tarmogoyf. I mean, one thing that's cool to me about this deck and something that I've noticed a little bit over a lot of these decks and in modern over the last couple of weeks is that uh, Archmage's Charm has made it out of the sort of like blue-red decks only and into a bunch of other decks. And I think that's really cool. It's a card that I was kind of a believer in when Modern Horizons came out and that it sort of didn't really make an impact. And now it seems to be making a pretty big impact. I mean, it was in Simic Urza, of course, but it's um it's getting used more and more, which I think is sweet. I know it's a card Stan likes. Well, if we can't have Counterspell, we'll just take Archmage's Charm. Yeah. And it'll do more things. Yeah, we'll have some more broad takeaways from this meta and some things that stand out to us. Uh, I definitely have some comments on Eldrazi Tron, but I do want to jump ahead a little bit and talk about the 13 winners across all the SCG regionals because I think there's some surprises here as well. Dave mentioned this earlier. Junt took down four of the 13 tournaments. And as much as I hate playing Junt, I also hate playing against Junt because I really respect the deck. I did not expect it to be you know, the, the leader from the weekend in this regard. It also won our uh, regionals. It's worth mentioning that it, it won the Chicago one. Yeah. Well, as you know, Chicago is a Jund meta. <laughs> I thought it was a burn town. Every, everyone's a Jund meta. That's a secret. I'm always Junding. Shane is someone who used to love Jund. Yeah. And then has- it, makes you, it, makes you feel, it makes you feel like you're making decisions all the time, even if you're limited by the cards that you're drawing. Yeah. So the secret is you only put good cards in your deck. Yeah, and you, as you get more and more good cards, then you can take out more and more of the poopy ones. And yeah. then you win more. Yeah, so I played Junt twice. It, it it did feel like it was everywhere in the room. Like every time I was at a table, there was at least one Junt person adjacent to me. Two copies of Amulet Titan won these tournaments. Didn't convert. 15 in the top eights, and only two got there. I mean, there's a lot of variance in every, you know, Every top eight, you're going to have some of the best players in the room playing each other. You're going to have people who are prepared better than you know anyone else in the Swiss, probably. So you're going to have people who have tested these matchups. They're going to have sideboard plans of these matchups. They're going to be prepped for what they assumed was going to be the winner's metagame. And so you know that's what's going to happen. But you know, see, still seeing two Amulet Titan is about what I might expect, right? Like I might have expected three or four, but two is also within the realm of you know variance and error correction. I feel like because so many people, myself included, were expecting to deal with Titan as it was just the most dominant deck leading up to this weekend, I think we kind of saw people find ways to hate it out, sideboard against it, and deal with what Titan can do, either by, you know, strangling their mana base, maybe preventing them from fetching with something like Ashiok, which is one of the most popular cards in the format, as opposed to something like Jund. It's a little harder to hate out Jund with just sideboard cards, right? Jund is being a mid-range strategy and having, you know, such a variety of tools at its disposal. In my experience as a modern player, it's a little easier to hate out Jund with your deck choice than with sideboard slots exclusively. 
And I wonder if that's part of what we're seeing here in terms of the decks that did convert versus the decks that, you know, were eventually hated out by people who were prepared for the weekend. Yeah, you just kind of rely on John hating itself out, right? Yeah. I also wonder if John just has a bunch of good removal against uh, Dryad of the, Elysi- of the Elysian Grove mm-hmm. and Primeval Titan. And so it, it has a pretty good game against those decks. It also has Thoughtseize, so it can just destroy people's hands. And that's pretty important uh, it, when you're a Titan player. So they can take your payoff or they can take your enabler, whichever you're short of, and kind of move on from there. So, you know, thought Thoughtseize might just be good right now. It's great in Pioneer. Maybe it's good in Modern now, too. I mean, there was just a Titan ramp along for the ride with it, too. So not drastically different in terms of what the deck's really trying to do. So you, know, you could say that there maybe were like sort of three Titan-type decks. Right. Fair. Interesting that there's no mono-red prowess on this winner's list, by the way, for 11 of them getting in the top eights, but there are no winners. Or Eldrazi Tron. That was the real surprise for me. Dave's new favorite deck. Nowhere to be seen. Yeah. All right. In addition to one copy of the Titan Ramp that Shane mentioned, there was one copy of Teamer Nexus. Yeah, it's a Wilderness recl- Reclamation deck in Teamer. Yeah. Which is pretty sweet. Um, I'm used to seeing this deck in Sultai, so it can run Mystical Teachings. Not so much in this version, but uh, it was cool. We also saw Sultai Snow, a copy of Storm. Who piloted that? I can't even imagine. There's only one Storm player left in America. Yeah. Caleb Shearer, who's not listening, but congratulations, Caleb. Is there anyone you would feel like more helpless against across the table than like Caleb Shearer piloting Storm? Probably Reed Duke piloting Jund. But with, with Storm, it's like, you know, they can just maneuver themselves to that combo win in a way that like, unless I'm disrupting it. And I feel like Caleb has like game plans A, B, C, and D ingrained in like his muscle memory mm-hmm. for sure you know the only person i would feel more helpless against is uh shaheen sarani on kci i mean uh <laughs> grinding breach i mean kci i mean grinding breach because uh yeah because he won with that right he did win the, the durham regional uh on grinding breach with that and i saw him tweet out i'm so glad that they unbanned kci i would hate to play against Sodak on dredge Ross Merriam on Is It Phoenix? Because it would be a Phoenix mirror and he would tell me everything I'm doing wrong. <laughs> All right, up next. This is a this is a curveball. Hardened Scales won an SCG regional. And this is that, that new Hardened Scales, right? Yeah, I didn't know you could still put Hardened Scales in your modern deck. Yeah, it is not your daddy's Hardened Scales, though, to be clear. Or your mom's. It is not your parents' Hardened Scales deck, because this one is really much more, I mean, it does have your kind of Arcbound Ravager fun, but I think that this one is much more about enabling Heliod and Walking Ballista as a combo and using Hardened Scales to do that, as opposed to the pure value plan that kind of happened with the old Hardened Scales decks that were much more akin to Affinity. Yeah, this isn't a modular affinity version. This is just making your ballistas a little cheaper and giving you more tools to grind out games where people may have found a way to deal with your combo. I mean, it still does give you a lot of interesting lines. Like it does have Archon Ravager now. It does still have Ink Moth Nexus. Being able to put extra counters onto your uh, spike feeder does give you some interesting sort of board building capabilities. So there are new lines in this, and this is definitely a deck that 
intrigues or perhaps intrigued me now with the loss of once upon a time but i just the amount of reps that i would have to put in on a deck like this would be outrageous i think yeah hardened scales was not the original uh affinity-esque version was pretty difficult to play and keep up with this one i think you really can look at this as being like we took out the devoted devoted druid combo out of the druid heliod decks and replaced it with Arcbound Ravager and Metallic Mimic and a couple other pieces that bring that Hardened Scales version in instead. It's an it's a cool design. I know that um, a list like this was shared with our Slack a couple of weeks ago after it won a PTQ at a Magic Fest, and so um, I think it's cool to see this popping up again for sure. The last two notable winners of an SCG Regional this past weekend were Grinding Breach, the deck we've talked about, somewhat extensively now, and Bant Stoneblade. Yeah, got some decks. I mean, it's a good spread, really, when you look at it like this. It's got some mid-range, you got some combo, you've got things that ostensibly look like control-ish ends of mid-range, and the Sultai Snow deck, Teamer Nexus, you know, whatever kind of deck you think Wilderness Reclamation is, I guess it's sort of a combo-taking-turns kind of deck. But um, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah, looks good to me. I, w- I wouldn't really complain too much if I saw you know, some top eights looking like this. All right, so let's look at some of the noteworthy decks that stuck out to us from the People's Meta. Because there's there's some spicy brews, some left field winners, and uh, I don't know, maybe even some inspirational deck lists that uh, might inspire some of us in our modern play moving forward. And this is really what regionals is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the best the best part of it is like the random top eights that come from decks that you've never seen before or decks that you thought were dead. Yeah, like Merfolk showing up again or something like that. So as usual, I did my control F skeletal search. <laughs> did you find anything this time, Stan? I did. I found Mardu Pyromancers. There's more than one now. Four skeletal, one Kroxa, seven Pyromancers. Of the seasoned and young variety. More seasoned than young. They're still shirtless either either way. <laughs> this might be my first time seeing a red-black skeletal list that really blended in with the Mardu Pyro shells. That, that may have happened before, but I don't think I, was, I ever noticed that. Um, and here, Smiting Helix is really the only classic Mardu graveyard card. Uh, otherwise, all of the graveyard stuff they're doing is based on Unearth and Colligan's Command to bring back these really powerful creatures, uh, specifically these Pyromancers that help you grind or these Skelementals that just beat down and take your opponent down on cards. Yeah, this is very, very much a red-black deck, right? Calling it Mardu is For a sure. little bit of a misnomer because the only thing that's in here even that is a white Pip. Well, there's a few things in the sideboard. There's Kaya's Guile and Kambal. But the only thing that's main deck is the flashback ability of Smiting Helix. And so uh, I think it's it's worth pointing out that th- it, this really is like Rakdos Pyromancers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a cool plan, though. I mean, one of the things that was, I think, a little bit underexplored with Season Pyromancer when it came out was using the discard as uh, a payoff as part of it because um, I think it was just a time in the meta where you, you didn't particularly want Season Pyromancer for that because Faithless Looting was still around. And then, you know, the decks kind of all went out of favor when Faithless Looting went away. So I, I love the idea of trying to use Pyromancer to enable um, 
giant turn four play with uh, Skelemental or something like that. This also has four Merchant of the Veil, which enables some things as well. Yeah, it's like Faithless Looting Light. Yeah. So Stan, before we move on, are you going to give this deck a try? I got to say, I have been resisting a lot of urges, actually, to try a deck like this because I've been seeing the Skelemental Croxa deck that I predicted. I called it. When Croxa was announced, I was like, this in Unearth seems very interesting. And then people have been making it work. I don't know if it's as good as the old Skelemental decks were. But the reason I've been a little hesitant to try it is, A, I've been super interested in control. And B, the cost of Croxa is kind of a turnoff. Just because, like, I don't want to buy another expensive $20, $25 Mythic right now. It does, it does speak to me, man. Especially when we go straight red-black instead of doing, like, Mardu stuff just for smiting helix and maybe sideboard cards. Mm-hmm. I think if I had a good reason to do it for the podcast, it would make me super happy. I'm not ready to bring this to the store yet just because I am I just love casting counterspells right now. There you have it. <laughs> I, I'm thinking this one is uh, maybe, for me, I would try this out. I've been missing Season Pyromancer. Let's see what happens. Just put them in your Mono Red Prowess deck. Shane, this is not your type of deck, right? I mean, I'd certainly play it. Okay, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a Rakdos mid range deck, right? Like, you know, how how bad can it be? Looks fun. All right, next up on the list, actually, this one is super spicy, right, Stan? Oh, oh, it sure is because the name it really shone a light on my eyes, and that's Madcap Moon. And when I first saw this deck listed. The name alone made me immediately think that I brought the wrong Blue Moon deck to regionals. (laughs) And then I looked a little closer and I realized that it was actually a dive-down patron who brought this deck. All right. Yeah, and there's also no blue cards in it. Not one. Not one. No, it's just red-green. It's just Gruel, Madcap. Congrats, by the way, to Henry P., who top-aided in Chicago with this Gruel, Madcap, Moon deck. I think we're entirely responsible for Henry's success. The podcast finally did its job, even though we never talked about this deck before on the air. Of course. So what's cool about this deck is that it runs four Blood Moon effects main deck across two Blood Moon and two Magus of the Moon, as well as a variety of some of the most powerful creatures in the color suite, including Questing Beast, Inferno Titan, Carnage Tyrant, along with your classic Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl combo. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a Ponza deck. Am I allowed to say that? Or is every red deck Ponza? I mean, this one has Pillage in it, so I kind of <laughs> think it's Ponza, right? Yeah, it's it's a little closer to some of the it's closer to Ponza than some of the red green mid range decks we've been seeing. Because like I've been watching those decks shave off land destruction steadily. Yeah, I mean, this one has has Primal Command even, which is like a, a you know people love to play that to kind of put a land back on top of their opponent's uh, library along with their pillage. It's just it's sort of like a Ponza deck with Madcap Experiment into Platinum Imperium in the deck as well, which is like a two wild things to graph together. I do think it's neat that it both plays a big mana strategy thanks to Arbor Elf and Utopia Sprawl, but also finds a way to sort of strangle other big mana strategies with all these Blood Moon effects. And that's kind of like a contradiction, a duality that... You don't always get modern. And I reached out to Henry in the Slack to congratulate him. And he said that uh, it was really close a couple times getting to top eight. It always is. It always is. And a a couple memories he shared was in round seven. He had to choke 
a Titan player, not with his hands, but using the card choke. Right. To prevent the Titan pair, player from being able to cast a Summoner's Pact, thus forcing them to just lose on the spot. And then again in round eight, Henry won on turn four of turns with only one life against a Dredge player who ran out of cards and decked himself. Wow. So that's what it takes sometimes to top eight a tournament. You just got to get really lucky. Play to your outs or play until your opponent's out of cards. That is amazing. All right, I got one more I want to share with y'all, at least for now. And this was the indomitable creativity combo, which put one copy into top eight across regionals. To me, looking at this deck, it turns out that Mystic Sanctuary wasn't the only good land from that cycle of Eldraine Commons because this deck runs four Dwarven Mine. You guys ever played a Dwarven Mine? Do you know what it does? It makes it just like one dwarf, right? Yeah, if it enters the battlefield and you control three mountains, Dwarven Mine comes in untapped and makes a 1-1 dwarf creature, which seems amazing, obviously. But there is upside, even more. And what this deck is really ultimately doing is putting together this Jeskai control package with a combo finish. And in addition to some of the typical blue-red control cards like Omen of the Sea, Is It Charm, Remand... It also has four indomitable creativity, a complicated card from, I think it was Aether Revolt, which is a sorcery, red, 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 X, destroy X target artifacts and or creatures for each permanent destroy this way. Its controller reveals cards from the top of his or her library until an artifact or creature card is revealed and exiles that card. Those players put the exiled cards onto the battlefield, then shuffle their libraries. Hey, Stan, guess what? What, Dave? The only creature or artifact in this deck is Emrakul the Aeon Storm. What? I know. Weird. What a crazy combo. Well, what if this combo could be even more consistent? Because it runs Polymorph. Right. Another weird card. Three and a blue for a sorcery. Destroy target creature. It can't be regenerated. Its controller reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a creature card. Put that card onto the battlefield. Shuffle the other cards into the library. And of course, there's one Nahiri the Harbinger, which can cheat Emrakul into play from the library. And, you know, looking at these Dwarven Mines along with these weird sorceries, that's the combo, which it can pull off as early as turn four. If you're able to get that turn four Dwarven Mine, make just a 1-1, cast Polymorph, boom. You've got Emrakul. That's right. I, the, the thing that's interesting about this deck is that people used to run uh, Polymorph Emrakul with Colony Garden mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back in the day, right? When it was, you know, it was a much less consistent deck, but you could do it into the same principle. But the big power up here is that you can fetch Dwarven Mine. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it plays off of the same idea as kind of Mystic Sanctuary does. Mystical Sanctuary? Mystic Sanctuary? Just Mystic. Mystic. Yeah. I always get that wrong. Um, you know, that same principle where if you play a bunch of fetch lands, you can go and get the Dwarven Mine when it's time to go for it so that you have a land that generates a token, lets you polymorph into your target right away. The other thing that's interesting is that this deck does run Nahiri the Harbinger as like a backup plan where if you can go more of like a value route, you can tick Nahiri up 
enough to be able to play em- search up Emrakul that way and kind of sneak attack it, which is a uh, a deck that I definitely played and also O3 dropped with in a different tournament one time, the uh, Jeskai Nahiri Emrakul deck of uh, old. Yeah, so if you're looking for a new control deck with a combo finish, Polymorph might be a nice way to surprise your opponents. Yep. Uh, the next deck that kind of caught our eye for fun is that there there was an 8-rack deck that made it to the top 8. Um, kind of a wild deck to see. I guess that there's a, there's a lot of people that play it. I'd heard somebody talking in Chicago about how they got totally destroyed by it in one of the rounds that they were. This was not... The, the deck did not make the top eight in Chicago. It was in a different place. But, um, you know, people are playing it with kind of some updated tech that has da- a couple of Davriel in it. It has a couple of Castle Lockwain to give it some drawing. Um, so it's an updated version of a deck that I think a lot of people are familiar with, but it's kind of just cool to see it around and back. And, you know, if we had to have 104 decks to to represent modern right now, why not throw an eight rack in? I'm not saying eight rack is is tier one all of a sudden. But do you think with the lack of creature strategies, right? You don't have as many humans or spirits or or elves running around. I guess it's just slivers right now. Do you think Arak might be okay? You know, if if you only need to remove maybe one creature a turn, if that, just picking apart someone's hand over and over and then just punishing them for having no cards in hand, that kind of feels like a strategy that lines up well against like titan even for instance yeah certainly i mean you're not facing down like humans or spirits very frequently or elves so <laughs> just slivers you're not in a lot of games like there's meta games where liliana the veil loses her utility a lot right because mm-hmm. it's like oh there's just so many creatures out there and like you said stan decks are fairly creature light you know with 12 14 creatures right now with just sort of relying on the power of individual ones more often than not. So yeah, it, it could be really good, like the, the the edict effects and whatnot. Yeah. Cool. I, I'll sleeve it up. I don't care. Are you more likely to sleeve this than Mardu Pyromancer? <laughs> if you get a little free time on Moto, on Moto? Dude, kind of. Yeah. Come on. I just think 8-Rack is so charming. It's such a charming strategy. It's been around for so long. It's kicked my butt literally countless times. Why not? You just want to Airbnb uh, eight rack and see how have a little weekend to yourself. It's stand time. That's right. All right. Another one we saw was a slivers deck, and something. Stan, you've been facing this down at the LGS. You mentioned this in our Slack, right? You're like, I, I played slivers twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last time I played modern, I literally played it back to back, and the two decks were different. Like they had a lot of the same slivers, but they actually had like different combo win cons. And neither of those decks were the same as this deck that we're going to talk about right now. So this deck is basically just like creature beatdown, right? Like give some stuff some evasion, give some stuff some plus one, plus one. You know, give your slivers flying in haste with Cloud Shredder Silver. So we were right. It did show up eventually uh, in some slivers decks. It has Unsettled Mariner, the, the secret sliver, to make things harder to remove and and um, give you some taxing effect. Oof, I lost to that card so hard out of spirits. Oh no. Yeah, so bad. Don't forget if you come up against an Unsettled Mariner that it also covers your opponent. It's not just their creatures mm. that you have to pay the tax for. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever played with a card that either has or gives creatures 
flanking. Absolutely. And, and, and without reading, do you know what flanking even does? Absolutely. I do not. When a creature that has flanking gets blocked by an, an opponent's creature, that opponent's creature gets minus one, minus one. I thought it was like the reverse. No. It's only, it only works when you attack. No, Dave is correct. Okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. So you did do it right. I was just hearing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just it's it's a pile of pile of cool cards trying to beat down some Aetherbots. I don't like Stan acting like I don't know what a Sukata Lancer did. Come on. Look it up. <laughs> Dave, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I always underestimate you. This guy flexing. I, I drafted a lot of Mirages since Weatherlight, which is also why I love the card Frenetic Sliver that was in this deck for some reason. One of my favorite cards in Mirage Block was Frenetic Ifrit, which has the same ability. The if this creature is in play, flip a coin. If you win the flip, remove it and return it. Because it was sort of like an onboard counterspell that never worked ever when you wanted it to. Yeah, and Frenetic Sliver does it for free. Yep. So good on this player for beating down with a pile of slivers. More power to you. So we have another control deck that stood out to us, and that was Blue-Black Control. Appeared a couple times in the top eights. And, uh, you know, on its surface... This just looks like a total pile of cards. But at least one of these decks came in third at its tournament, so maybe I'm the pile of cards. <laughs> and uh, the one that came in third place had a full playset of main deck Narset, Parter Avails, in a deck with 33 non-creature cards. So I bet she hardly ever whiffed. And when you can't play Dig Through Time, you play... The next best thing, sort of. Yeah. I mean, she, it, it is packing the Gyre Reach Sanitarian combo with Narset, which is kind of a good way to get your opponent to have to discard over and over again. Uh, it's sort of like having a land that's a disrupting scepter, which is a time-honored tradition in a control deck uh, to be able to make your opponent, you know, outdo your opponent on card advantage and then also make them discard cards out of their hand. Um, this one does it at instant speed, which is pretty wild. Uh yeah, Dave. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of hand disruption, counter spells, and removal. Sometimes the counter spell and the removal is on the same card, thanks to Drown in the Lock, plus Jace the Mind Sculptor and Iliana the Veil. The only creatures are three Snapcaster Mage. Stan, are you thinking about firing this deck off? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't love three Snapcaster Mage. I just, I will never understand that. Simply yeah. put, like, why? Why? why but i do like everything else i mean these are cards i own except guy reach sanitarium liliana the veil you got a couple of those these days i do have a couple of those yeah yeah no problem no problem sweet four creeping tar pit you got those i think i only have a couple that's enough but they're cheap they're really cheap yeah yeah i like the look of this deck too i would i would maybe give it a try sometime the problem with blue black compared to something like blue white or blue red is that blue black is evil. Oh yeah. <laughs> that I feel bad when I play it. That's right. And I'm on the side of good and justice. Yeah, the crazy is it mages, the side of justice. One deck that I am sad that we didn't see more of is the Golgari Yogmoth combo deck. So there was one in all of these top eights. I kind of thought that this deck was positioned to do a lot more over the last month or so, and it's kind of fallen back off. I'm not really sure why that might have happened, but um, definitely think that it could be hurt quite a bit by Once Upon a Time being banned, but I still think this is a really sweet deck. You know, There's all kinds of amazing things that you can do with it, built off of the back of Yogmoth's activated abilities along with the cards 
that have undying. So we've talked about this a couple of times on the show, but you know, being able to remove the plus one plus one counter from your young wolf or your undying creatures so that you can get them back over and over again. What you want to do eventually is get to a point where you are just recycling Geralt's messenger over and over again and you kill via a combo. You can also just be an aggro deck and attack your opponents uh, on the ground with creatures that get big a bit too fast and just draw a bunch of extra cards because of the way that Yawgmoth works. So really cool car uh, deck and card overall. Look forward to seeing what happens to this deck after Once Upon a Time goes. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is almost like the dark side of the Devoted Druid deck because it has like <laughs> a little bit of a toolbox package thanks to both Eldritch Evolution and Court of Calling. Likewise, you know, like Dave said, the Garalf's messengers can beat down, but if you have Yogmoth, a messenger, and, you know, one more undying creature, you have a loop that just wins the game. Blood Artist is a one of in the deck as well that lets you win the game with one of these undying creatures in a Yogmoth. Um, so it's cool. I, I like that it has multiple combo outs. It is sad that this is another deck that kind of just gets unfairly hit by the once on once upon a time banning. I think if if a deck like Devoted Druid can survive, then this probably has what it takes to survive. But time will tell. All right, last couple of things. Things that you were surprised or disappointed by. Man, there's a lot of surprises here, I feel like. What stands out to you, Shane? I mean, I feel pretty bad right now. All my decks are getting outclassed. We have no mono green Tron at all. Not a single mono green Tron made the top eight. We had one dredge deck make all one of these 13 top eights. We had one humans deck make one of these 13 top eights. What is going on? Well, there was a humans player who beat me in round one. Real nail biter. Game three. I couldn't do it. There was one mono green Tron player who I destroyed in round three or four. So you kept them out of the top eight? Basically, yeah. His breakers were, were not good because I did not do great. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, that's that's a big sea change, right? Like these were decks that you'd potentially expect to see out of 13 top eights, you might expect in, in, in a in a meta like this, you might be like, okay, well, I'm gonna there's gonna be those people who just still love humans. There's gonna be those people who just still love dredge, just still love mono green tron, and they did not percolate up through the Swiss. Yeah, this is the one thing when you say that, Shane, that surprises me about Jun's staying power, if we ascribe it just to affinity, yeah, like the love of the deck, right? Like, I mean. Jund is still around. Do people just love that deck more than people love Dredge or humans? I, I don't know. Yes. You think so? Yeah, no one foils out humans or Dredge decks. Every Jund deck is foil. <laughs> fair fair enough, I guess. But I, I kind of agree with Shane that I thought that some, at least one of those three decks would still be around. Um, but it, they all feel like they're on the wane right now for sure. Even with the addition of Ox of Agonis and Dredge, which does add a lot to the power level, but it shows you how much Faithless Looting was doing for the deck. Absolutely. I can't believe there were only two copies of Etron across all the top eights. Yeah, well, it was like it was like over a third of the the modern uh format challenge, whatever the showcase challenge. Showcase. Yeah. It was all over the room in Chicago too. I played against it twice. And and unlike Titan, which you know I mentioned earlier, I feel like Titan is a deck that you can really attack with your sideboard a lot, and you can have a plan against these Titan strategies. 
Eldrazitron, it's it's a bit harder to deal with it with just a sideboard. I, I, I think that's a deck that has like some polarizing matchups, but if you're only counting on like certain pieces to deal with it, Eldrazitron will sometimes find the anti-hate card out of their wishboard, or they'll have... Um, Big Claws, Stands Making... XX. Chalice of the Void. Or they'll have Chalice of the Void and just counter whatever spell you're trying to cast, or Cavern of Souls for that matter. So this is such a resilient deck and it's been so powerful lately. I can't believe it didn't have a stronger showing. Yeah. So Stan, maybe there is something to what you were saying before, which is there are certain decks that are harder to shore up your matchup against. So like you said, Jund is typically not something that you can have a great sideboard for. You just sort of happen to have maybe a great main deck strategy against it. Like if you brought a ton of dredge to the room, John would likely have uh, worth showing. But people can plan for things like grinding station decks where they're going to be fighting the graveyard. And that's going to have uh, hate against dredge as well. So people are coming prepared for this new grinding station deck. They're going to have their graveyard hate. That's also going to hurt dredge. The innate power level of grinding station is better than dredge probably. It's faster. It's a combo kill versus like a sort of grindy board state kill so that's maybe one reason that we're seeing dredge also get some hate you can see land hate against things like eldrazi tron and mono green tron they're going to have those damping spheres to prevent uh, spells from being cast or lands from creating extra mana and so that is also going to hurt those kind of decks that doesn't say anything great about the you know frequency of seeing Amulet Titan, because if people were coming prepared, but Amulet Titan still did really well in the Swiss, of course, like you said, we didn't see it reach the, you know, the winner circle, but it's still, I mean, reaching the top eight is great. Like, you know, that's, that's a success in eight rounds of Swiss. Yeah. And so I think that that's definitely something, there's something there, right? Where some of the hate that people brought for a number of what they, the top decks they expected to see might've also kept things down, you know, kept things down like dredge and perhaps mono green Tron. Although the power level of mono green Tron is just not quite there as it used to be right, right now, at least for sure. Stan, Mm -hmm. uh, you and Dave went to, uh, the regionals on Saturday. We did. We did. Did you bring shadow of doubt against my suggestions? Dude, I played a deck with three Shadow Doubt main. And uh, I got to say, I'm never doing that again. Even though, listen, listen, it did its job a couple times. It was really cute. Um, One of my matchups, this is going to sound like I'm changing the subject, not entirely. One of my matchups was against Allie Warfield. Oh, yeah. She's good. She's great. She's a literal Mythic Champion ship competitor a fixture on the scg scene uh it was really intimidating playing against someone at her level um but she was really cool and friendly and it was it was just kind of nice to chat and 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 even play against someone at that level you know that was an interesting experience in and of itself and ali was on foil junt of course and uh they thought seized me on turn one as you do sometimes when you play mid-range and i had a shadow of doubt in my hand that's what happens and she plucked it out of my hand because shadow doubt is pretty good against john sometimes and and she kind of recognized what it would do to her mana base in that game and even though i didn't get to shadow of doubt her seeing my opponent kind of respect the card was a was a small win in and of itself Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, I didn't leave the weekend feeling like this was the secret tech that was going to make blue-red control better. Sure. Um, and it was fun. I went into the weekend trying to have fun. I went into the weekend playing my favorite control deck. But I sort of left feeling like I didn't necessarily play the best control deck that I could have either. And looking at these top eight results and just seeing literally no Blue Moon up there at all. Yeah. I'm sure other people are playing it. I was literally next to someone who was on blue red Kiki combo. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same time as as me doing my blue red cutthroat deck. It just kind of made me feel like perhaps all things being equal, I could have spent the last week or two practicing blue white control and maybe would have had a little bit more success. Yeah, like a the stone blade style, like blue white or bant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I don't have regrets. It was a learning experience. I had a lot of fun hanging out with Dave and my friends and just like seeing people from around Chicago come in for this big tournament. But, you know, you go into these tournaments, you try to have fun, but I think ideally a good goal always to have is to try to learn something from your games and and try to learn something from every game, ideally. And that was what I did. And and I think the lesson I learned is it might be time to put down blue-red for a little while and... Hopefully, I don't lose any friends in the process. Let's talk about our next steps for the format. Um, I'll go first because I want to talk. Um, the first thing I was thinking about is what does losing once upon a time hose? Like, does it hose anything entirely? Like, ostensibly, it's going to knock Titan down a peg, right? But decks like Infect, Four Color Shadow, the company decks are all leaning pretty hard on that card. So, I'm curious if, you know, what in what sense those decks can remain around and at what power level they can remain around specifically the, the company combo or like the hardened scales combo decks. Um, but does nerfing any of those decks make anything else particularly more appealing, right? Like if we lose the speed and consistency of those fastest creature combo decks, the, you know, the, the marginal appeal of things like infect or Heliod combo could be impacted in, in the meta and that could give an edge to maybe some of the slower decks in modern, but I don't know what decks are slow right now. Like maybe the the Snowblade type decks that are sort of they want to eke out you know the mid range and long game value, but those aren't decks that I'm really playing. What, what are you thinking about? Like if Infect goes away and Heliod Company goes away, like what does Mono Green Tron get a chance again? Yeah, I mean I think Mono Green Tron and Humans for that matter do stay good. Uh, Tron probably suffers in the face of mono red prowess, but for sure. I mean, part of me is a little surprised that humans struggle so much just because meddling mage, I think is such a powerful card and yeah, it certainly is. And freebooter being able to like pick really important pieces out of people's hand. Like it, it just, I mean, it doesn't take Titan, but it can take a summoner's pact. I, I think if you weren't to spend your time on something like humans, you might have more positive results than something like Tron, Mono Green Tron specifically in this moment. Um, but I do love the position of control. I mean, those are kind of the slow decks du jour. And the fact that Stoneforge Mystic is kind of like back for the first time since Oko. You know, Oko killed Stoneforge. With Oko gone, we're seeing Stoneforge again. I find that super exciting. Sure. It's too bad you got rid of yours, man. I don't think it's too bad. I could buy it back in for probably three quarters or less of what I sold them for. 
Um, yeah, it's like thirty dollars. I feel a little helpless in what I what I'd play in modern right now if I just wanted to go win, right? Like I've been playing dredge when I go to the local game store, uh, trying to farm the the fair meta that exists there, and just hope to dodge the graveyard hate or have my counter hate. Right? If I wanted to go and just maybe win a tournament, I'd probably just have to play prowess because I have most of the deck. I just buy back in to like the metamorphoses that I sold off. Um, and, and just play that because it's, it's proactive, it's aggressive. It's the type of deck that I feel that I can eke out some wins. So yeah, that's about it. Um, I, I hope that the metagame does maybe open up a little bit and we see what happens in the coming weeks. Yeah. I mean, really my parting thought for all of this, both between once upon a time being banned and like all this data we're getting from this weekend you know, some of the data is moot because of the banning. But likewise, the immediate aftermath of both new sets and ban announcements is just one of the most exciting times in a format, period. People start trying all kinds of stuff, especially with a new set coming out in April. I think it's really cool to be playing Modern right now, actually. And though Titan and Etron will likely still stick around, Modern Red Prowess absolutely will, you know... This is a good time to just keep an eye on what people are putting through the leagues and what people might be seeing success with in the uh, preliminaries. Yeah, it's a brave new world, and we're living in it. Well, my my regionals was a little tough. Um, I I felt like I kind of sh- knew I was going to go kind of late. I didn't have a lot of chance to do some practice beforehand. I don't have a lot of like great. Ec- Excuses, I did go 03 drop, which was, we've talked about, we kind of joked about a little bit earlier. Um, you know, I, I just, I made a whole bunch of play mistakes, realistically, and to be totally honest with myself and everybody here. And I don't know if that would have made the difference in my matches, but I definitely did a bunch of just like basic stuff, like not reading the cards, not remembering that Unsettled Mariner covers my opponent and not just their creatures. So I tried to thought seize them without any extra mana. And so I just like lost a turn to that a couple of, you know, to things like that and across a couple of different games. And that stuff just adds up so quick in Magic, but also especially when you're playing Shadow that I just did not... I was not able to recover. And I, I really think that for me with paper tournaments, I got to figure out how to like get my brain engaged earlier in the day mm-hmm. because I don't have similar, I don't feel like I have problems like this on Moto mm-hmm. the way that I do in, uh, in paper sometimes. And so I got to figure out how to like tighten up. I just need to tighten up my gameplay in, in paper somehow. And that's, that's the struggle I'm going to have to have going forward, I guess. Do you goldfish your decks at all? No. No, I just basically play leagues. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's something to be said about actually like looking at the cards in your hand and seeing how they move on a, on a table and on a play mat. And whenever I pick up a new deck, I always goldfish it. A, it's, it's just fun for me to shuffle my, my library and like draw seven cards and put things on the table. But I think you, <laughs> you you actually start to see these like little tiny micro interactions that don't account to like actual play experience, but maybe account to like twenty percent of the experience you might get from playing a match. Yeah, I mean, I play plenty of matches on Moto, right? I think the main thing is I have to figure out a way to not rely on Moto to like remind me of the rules, or I don't know. I do a better job of focusing 
when I'm just kind of in my office playing on my laptop or, or looking at the big screen. And when I get into a tournament environment, I get kind of like a little bit of a loss of focus. And then I just make mistakes. Right. Right. And, and really, that's what I'm talking to. I think it's like there's just these very subtle differences between playing in paper and playing in moto. And like there's certain practice that goes into doing both. Yeah. Got to get better. Especially if I'm going to top eight Grand Prix Las Vegas later this year when we all go together for our fun and profit. <laughs> that wraps up our very timely, newsy dive down for the week. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. If you'd like to submit a question to the show or pick our brain on something in Modern or Pioneer, you can always tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon, where joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel. Find that over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Also, shout out to manatraders.com for sponsoring the dive down. Sign up for manatraders using promo code the dive down. That's all one word. And get 15% off your first three months of renting magic online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play your favorite cars until they're banned in Modern and Legacy. Thank you to Snapcaster0822. What do you think the 0822 like is referring to? Like is that like they're like August 22nd? I don't want to dox anybody here. Well, you just did. Oh, I apologize, Snapcaster. First name Snap, last name Caster. <laughs> so social security number is one. Wait, <laughs> wait, sorry. R1UR. My bad. 0822. <laughs>